RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Track Files, Season 5, Episode 1, Star Trek Fan Club, Wheeling News Register, 1973. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek historians. Yes, you canonistas, I say that lovingly. Um, and of course, all you Trekophiles spelled with an F. And this week, maybe some budding sociologists among you. Those who study culture and maybe even some women's studies students because have a really interesting one, which on the surface is another fun clipping from that, um, the fun in between times of the early 70s. But uh, I really, this really caught my eye. Um, so listen, go to our page right now at Facebook, facebook.com slash The Track Files. Uh, follow along. This week we have a single clipping and a letter, a cover letter with it. Take a read on that. And while you're at it, listen to this sample. And then come right back for this week's guest. Opposed to the streamy, groupy admiration for personalities like the Beatles, the Star Trek crew prefers to be silent admirers, except for the pressuring correspondence. In addition to building flower and glue mixture-pointed ears on a toy rabbit, Judy once shaped her little brother's eyebrows into the characteristic slant of Spock. Right, see? A really fun moment from an otherwise interesting interview. What struck me about this clipping, I hope, and I hope you're watching with us indeed uh, from our Facebook page, what struck me about it was this was a young teenage girl in 1973 who was a member of an all-teenage girl club at this high school <laughs> um, that was caught the, uh, caught the attention of this uh, local news writer. And it really brought back to me the issue of Somehow, somewhere, by the turn of the century here just a few years back, 10, 15 years ago, we had the idea that the geek girl revolution was something new, whereas some of us were up there proudly uh, protesting and saying loudly protesting, uh, au contraire. And this clipping is exactly uh, another piece of that proof. Uh, so that's why I invited friend of the show, uh, veteran of the Star Trek licensing world, an archivist, and longtime, longtime fan herself miss holly amos back with us should i scream like a like a fangirl fan, <laughs> scream like a fangirl with flour Sweet. and paste uh <laughs> points on your ears because that's what trekkies were supposed to do in the day no what do you think when you see this um well i mean having at one point been a teenage girl uh <laughs> this is i'm gonna use spock's spock's word this is fascinating um what I find is interesting about this is that, yeah, like you said, like this was – women being a Star Trek fan or girls being a Star Trek fan has always been a little bit of a question mark for people. Um, and they actually mentioned the Beatles in this too. Mm -hmm. Is That's, I feel like, what people sort of – imagine when a girl is a fan of something yeah. and i mean to be fair i was a fan of nsync when i was a kid and i did scream a lot i think um, it's allowed i think it's allowed. <laughs> the beatles was kind of the apex and also the first time it really kind of 
I mean, okay, Rudolph Valentino and uh, Bing, early Bing Crosby and early Frank Sinatra. I mean, there have always been those right. spikes of screaming girls. Right. And, and the Beatles was kind of the mega. Right. Thing. So, like, boy bands is acceptable <laughs> as, like, the screamy. But, and, but at the same time, like, I've been a Star Trek fan since I was – essentially since I was born. My dad was a fan of the original series. I was born 16 months before The Next Generation premiered. So I've been a Star Trek fan literally my whole life. Having become a professional – in that world and then even now when people find out like yeah i i work for the star trek brand and i have in one capacity or another for almost a Mm -hmm. decade now and i've been a fan since i was a kid people are still surprised like you're but you're a girl you get that really but yes but like women like created sci-fi like if you get down to like frankenstein and stuff like that was written by a woman oh yeah so it's it's funny to me that this is like even back in the 70s like girls and women were very much like we are star trek fans like the and i mean you know even the save star trek campaign was led up by a woman you can Bijou. go down the list. i could say. go down the yes. list forever yes. women have always been involved and so you know the fact that this was even written about as if it was like this aberration is the interesting. early convention in new york and the conventions were three-fourths women because yeah. women were running women were the the, the spock into i've said this before spock uh the Vulcan aloof mystique made something come alive for mainly women writers more than men, I think. And I'm, I'm just quoting numbers here. But the fan fiction into fanzines, mm-hmm. fanzines begat the first convention organizers yeah. and the, the New York Con, especially in New York, the first big one. The, li- the little library one that we acknowledge now is the first meetup that we know about before the big convention. Yeah. That was all. That was a woman library. I mean. Yeah. It's amazing to me how somewhere we drifted. I woke up one day and people were saying, oh, these fake geek girls. because the anime influence was coming in. The Comic-Con yeah. and everything started to blend together. And I think people just assumed that's. And I was like, no, no, guys. Star Trek has always been yeah. pretty even keel in terms of the gender. And the leadership of the, yeah. Well, I blame the Shatner skit on, on Saturday <laughs> Live as skewing that. I remember watching it that night. And they had the token stereotypical boys in t shirts you know, pimple face boys in t shirts. How many women were in that audience? I don't I know. I have to go back and rewatch that's that what skit. I, I was like, where are all the middle aged women at this convention? Yeah. <laughs> because that's who the Star Trek audience is. Where, by then, middle twenty years later. Right. And I, but I think that I think that skewed the mainstream audience's view of what yeah. a trick fan. Because this is and here you go. These kids, the first wave of fandom was the leadership. Yeah. Overwhelmingly, not all. I mean, how old would you say this girl was in eighth grade in 1973, Mm -hmm. which meant when the original series premiered. She was born in 1960. So she's. Yeah. So she was, she was, she was kindergarten. Mm -hmm. She was kindergarten, first grade when the, when the series premiered, which I mean, you're sentient enough to understand. Her whole school life, her whole school life, she had Star Trek there and it had been dead for four years by now. Yeah, well, this was right at the beginning. Uh, who knows if she watched the animated series, which would have been coming around at this point, 73, 74. Um, but, yeah, what I think is funny is, like, she's showing off in this photo, she's showing off, like, her photos of Mr. Spock. <laughs> I, <didn't, laughs> I think and, everybody has something that they collected as a kid, and mine were not photos. Mine, and I talked about this on one of the other Roddenberry shows, Women at Warp, is that my first merchandise and this is very on brand for me, having become a professional organizer, was school supplies <laughs> and, like, folders and school stuff. School supplies. To organize stuff. I had those little, like, paper folders with the three-hole punch that you put inside yeah, a three-ring yeah, yeah. binder, and yeah. it had the little slot. Yeah, that was my first. Did and they have Star Trek three-ring binders? 
like friend, like I didn't have. I'm sure they covers. did. I didn't have one, but I had. I remember having the cardboard ones that you put inside a three ring binder, and it was always TNG. Like I didn't. Well, yeah. I didn't. I didn't have anything TOS. The only thing TOS that I had actually was the original compendium, which was my father's, and now I own it. But yeah, that was. I mean, and that's completely on brand for me, right? I, well, and I was just looking at this. So she's not alone. She's uh, there are about fifteen girls in this club. I was just trying to find the teacher's name, but there's no. Te- it sounds like this local reporter talked directly to her. Yeah. The interview is just her, and there's no teacher, you know. Uh, and then the the reporter is who got it to Majel and then to Jean. Look at how proud she is of those photos. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you know. It was a two D paper world. Nothing was digital. So like she could take film clips and put them on her website. Yeah, and I mean you know. this was the way early days of merchandise when you know they had, yeah. they had the some of the merchandise they had was just w- bizarre. I mean this is this is the Slap time Star of, Trek on it and the yeah, yeah this is the time of like the and, phaser and flying like not discs. trying to knock Ben Cooper because Ben Cooper had some actually pretty great stuff but like the early Ben Cooper Star Trek stuff oh. was the uniforms didn't look like uniforms they were like weird vinyl printed nonsense. Which, if you ever, the guy that had headed up uh, licensing John Van Sitters at CBS for a very long time, that's part of the reason why he got into licensing. He was like, there was terrible stuff when I was yes. a kid, and I want it to be better. I want it to look like the stuff that they, they wear on screen. Slap Star Trek on it. Half the time in the 70s, it was the, the Gold Key Comics crazy logo. I, I just I, That is my favorite logo. The flying discs, and they would slap yeah. Star Trek on They'd take the AMT phaser yeah. housing, the three-quarter size, and make it... You know, fl- I mean that all, the the slap a logo is, is slap a logo syndrome is what we call it when I worked at CBS, and I mean the most infamous obviously is the Spock helmet because it had nothing to do with anything, but it's something that existed, and they just here's some stickers, put the name Spock on it. The phaser flying discs had very little to do with Star Trek. <laughs> That's, that was there the- was like an Astro train. Uh, the, oh, there that, was so the much. company like Astro Train. They just yeah. put Astro in front of just existing products that they had. So I can see why she's super proud of this stuff because this is like well uh, not ridiculous. And this is Roddenberry. If it mails flat, we'll mail it. Like we'll sell it if we can put it in right. a flat envelope. We're not sending anything in a box box. Yeah. So, I, but look at it. Look at that. And it's seventy three. But I love how she says. Um, you know, the reporter says, well, maybe people would think this is silly, but they're thinking it's very worthwhile. And she says the male dominated. I mean, they are getting into a feminist perspective, even though, you know. Uh, Judy famously says here, I'm not a woman's liver, but I think it, everybody should get the job equally. And I just want to say, you know, honey, uh, not honey, you know, <laughs> you know, young, young person, young, naive person is what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> young, naive person, you're going to have to be a woman's liver to be able to get to the point where yeah. you can have jobs go equally to everybody. So to her, though, it's just a, it's just a, it should just be a fact. It should just be a piece of logic. Of course, now, dated journalism here. I love the way we're always putting people's street addresses and her parents' names. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And the phone number and the combination lock to their front door. That's was, not – that's not a – that was, was a, a regular time. thing. It was a different time. Because huh? I've read so many of these. Somebody posted on Facebook. Who, Up until the 80s, you put people's – in journalism style was you put people's street address after their name in news stories. Yeah, somebody put up something that was, mm-hmm. that was like 20, 30 years ago when they were a kid that was talking about where they lived and stuff. And I was just – I remember being like, it has your street name on it. They put the street address, I mean, the number with the street address. That's horrifying. But, <laughs> but look at this. A different tip. But look at these budding feminists. They are, they're, they're activists. 
they've lived, they're only 13, they've already lived through the mail writing campaign. And it's the, you know, it is the Vietnam era and, yeah. and, and the women's lib, as she says, and civil rights. And they know what protests are by now. It's not the halcyon days of 1966 when Star Trek was born, but by now they're using all those techniques in service of getting their show back on the air, which is, you know, what 70s fandom was about. They're writing their senator about space and NASA. They're 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 um, very well spoken. They're building too. model rockets. Yes, they're yes. very well spoken. I mean, she says that you know she we developed a special reverence for Nimoy, and I'm like, you're in eighth grade, like <laughs> you're using such a great wording. <laughs> I don't even think I speak that eloquently as a as an adult. Yeah. Like I'm very impressed. Well, I think that's what made it in between the lines here. Uh, this reporter is talking, uh, and she says up here. Uh, According to the talkative group leader, which I guess is her complimentary way of saying she's, she's well-spoken, uh, not a chatty Cathy, most of the girls are also really interested in the space program and, and trying to open up. You know, they're aware. They're aware of the world they're in. They're just very clear-eyed, and they're not so militant, but they're just like, okay, well, I'm ready to change the world because I'm 13 and the world changes. <laughs> you know, And, of course, it'll be better for us than it was then. Well, I think it's great that they are building model rockets. I didn't have any of the models when I was a kid, and that might have been because I was a girl. I don't know. That's uh, you, The model kits, like the Enterprise. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't have – my dad did when he was a kid, but I didn't have – I. Is it because I didn't ask for them? It was. It, it was it because it was assumed that I wouldn't want them because I was a girl. I'm not sure. When you were little, there may have been a lull in there for a while. When you know there was after AMT's run kind of but ran I, out. But I was born was like when TNG was a thing. Like oh, okay. yeah, I was right. born in '86. You could get the gal. Oh well, a one-year-old putting together a enterprise. Well, no, model. but I mean, I was you know up. I was got up until what? What I was like in second grade when the show was canceled. So I, there came a point in which, I, and I think it was when I was in like kindergarten and first grade that I had those boulders. Like, I don't know why I didn't get models. I should ask my parents You should that. go sue your parents. No, I'm <laughs> Well, I think, though, in this case, I think when she says model rockets, I think she means model rockets, like flying model rockets with the little yeah. engines and the Estes and Centauri and Centauri. Centauri. Um, and just, just as a kind of a closing thought here, she, I mean, we're talking about how... Um, She's a very mature 13. She's very uh, verbal, right, erudite. But she's, she hits it on the nail here, she says, uh, and that f- through the paraphrasing of the reporter, apparently actor Leonard Nimoy was singled out because of his quote-unquote sex appeal to the young audience. But then Judy doesn't she, – and she throws in a giggle as a, as a verb here. The reporter does. But then she quotes Judy saying, part of it was his poise, his straight face, you know. After, but then they saw him in this TV movie, <laughs> which is interesting. So I guess that's the first time they got the idea that this actor, they like this actor. But they're, you know, they're maturing. And, and that. But the, that whole attitude is, you know, I say this many times. We talk about Comic-Con culture now and all of that. It's amazing that Star Trek was like so out of it for so long, wandering in the desert. And now they're finally kind of reclaiming their seat at the big boy franchise table. Right. When they were the granddaddy of all this. Because before this, yes, there were sci-fi cons, but they were all lit cons. And Star Trek created such a phenomenon. It was a whole new paradigm that the old, I call them the lit snobs. The lit snobs told all the new Trekkies, well, look, if you're not going to go read Heinlein, you know, and get your <laughs> and Asimov and get your foundation, then just go start and do your own convention. And they did. They did. And media cons, you know, and then Comic-Con, comic conventions where... Yeah. 
mainly guys, some girls, mm-hmm. like going through dusty boxes of comics. And that yeah. was, a, you know, with a couple of artists to come talk. And that was a Comic-Con. And when Hollywood got involved, it was really because Star Trek led into Star Wars, led into the media franchises. Yeah. Anyway, I, you know, you can easily, to me, you can easily trace it back to. Not that Star Trek created science fiction. Because that had been, but the, the current the, the current been, atmosphere yes, yes. of conventions, the and celebrity signing sci-fi, and and then bleeding over into real science, real medicine, yeah, all of that. That can all be tracked back to Star Trek, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. So, which is why this is such a great, a great snapshot. Um, but I just love it on so many levels. But the main one is the fact that uh, here's Judy, and she's just repping fifteen other girls <laughs> at her St. John's Central Grade School in Bel Air. Um, yeah, in uh, in West Virginia. Let's not yeah, forget. Uh... But look at these look at these progressive girls here in West Virginia in Wheeling in 1973. It's awesome. Listen, Holly, I've, I we found this file months ago, and I've been waiting to hold on to it for just the right guess. So I'm glad you could come by and share it and give your thoughts here. Screamy used to be teenager. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that at the time. <laughs> The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. All of our documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. Hey, for more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me. At larrynimacek.com. Trek well, everybody. podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.